Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we we have sung so many bits of truth this morning. Phrases of insight relating to your son Jesus as he came into this world. What it means and, and how we should understand it. Father, we pray now as we open your word where some of those very bits of truth are found and others that we will add to them, we just pray that by your Holy Spirit you will guide us, open our minds, our hearts, continue that that experience of worship that says our God is, is more important to us than anything else. We honor him, Father, Son, Spirit. We receive strength and grace from him. And now today, by your spirit, we would receive enlightenment and encouragement and strength. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so today, as you know, we've mentioned before, it is Christmas Sunday. It's the last Sunday before Christmas. It's the fourth Sunday of the Advent season. Christmas is five days away that day when we will actually celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as you know, I don't have to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway, it's going to be the most unusual, the most unusual Christmas celebration celebration that most of us have ever experienced. I know it will be for me and for Linda. No family meal. No face-to-face opening of presents. No hugs and kisses from family that actually live close enough to get together with. It will be weird, to say the least. Usually after Christmas Eve candlelight service here, we, our own immediate family, gather at our house for our Christmas Eve kind of celebration when Christmas Day is usually given to some other things, and and there are all kinds of special things Linda makes that we eat Christmas Eve. Linda looked at me the other day after we found out that none of this is going to be possible due to people having to be quarantined and set aside and even some illness that's rather close to, to our own family, and she said, so what are we going to do Christmas Eve? Should I get all the stuff together, or, or should we just have uh, molasses cookies and cocoa, hot chocolate? I said, I think I'll go for molasses cookies and hot chocolate. You just dip them in there, and this is my mother's recipe that Linda has mastered. In fact, I never said it to my mother, but I've never had molasses Christmas cookies as good as the one Linda makes. But I, I kept that secret in my heart right up until my mom was gone. But now I've said it to you just in case she might have been listening in. So Christmas Eve, we'll be doing that. Different 
different. But here's the thing that we say today. The main thing is unchanged, isn't it? For this Christmas, no matter how we, where we are or how we need to be or what might be altered, the main thing is not the cookies and the cake and the presents together. It's, it's that we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. The one that, that we as a church are calling this season the promise of the ages. And over the last six weeks, we've been identifying some of the incredible promises of God that have been and are being even fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He has and he will fulfill the promise made way back in the Garden of Eden that one day one would come who would be a devil destroyer. Jesus has completely filled the promise that the Spirit of God whispered in Abraham's heart that God would one day provide a perfect sacrifice. Jesus has fulfilled the promise made by the great deliverer and lawgiver Moses that one day there would come a spokesman for God like Moses, a prophet who would know God face to face and speak with him face to face and would declare his truths to the whole world. Jesus will fulfill, perhaps sooner than we might imagine, the promise written by the prophet Ezekiel, that God would one day send a world ruler to whom all men would look and to whom all of them would bow the knee and whose kingdom would reflect the wisdom and ways of God himself right here on this earth, the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. Jesus has and does continue to fulfill the promise given by the prophet Isaiah that God would provide for mankind a heart healer. That is, one who would bind up the brokenhearted and would bring comfort to those who had been crushed in one way or another by the brokenness of life. And just last week, just last week we saw that Jesus has fulfilled the promise that God would send a life changer, who would release into the world the powerful, life-changing, and world-changing Spirit of God, with whom we saw Jesus baptize those very special 120 Pentecostal saints. Those have been six tremendously important promises from God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There are two more to go this week and then the last Sunday of the year. Here's promise number seven, represented by our our promise box here. And on the tag, it says, the promise of the ages, promise seven, from Isaiah chapter four, or chapter seven, verse 14, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. God promised that through Isaiah. There's coming a day. Isaiah might have thought it would be next month. He might have thought it was going to be during his lifetime. He would see all these things come into being that Isaiah spoke about, this world ruler, this great one, this heart healer. And God says to him, and and a virgin, a virgin will conceive somehow and will bear a son. And we add here on our phrase, he will be a miracle baby. He will be a miracle baby. 
Now, let me just say, though I don't really need to say it because you know this already, none of the previous promises contain such improbability as this one. How? How could such a thing happen? That would be the response of everyone who heard it or read it. Centuries would pass. And Isaiah's words would would hang almost tauntingly in the air. They were words that would cause any thinking person to say, well, if that's what it will take for God's man to arise, then it's never going to happen. Things like that don't happen. But... What Isaiah prophesied, the angel Gabriel announced. The angel Gabriel was sent to earth one day about 2,000 years ago, and here's what he said. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now, as we know, those words were spoken to the Virgin Mary a young Jewish woman who had never had sexual relationships with anybody. She was not married. And so her immediate response was, how can this be? How can this be? And Gabriel then quickly explained in Luke 1, 35, he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. What a term. It will overshadow you. The Holy One born will be called the Son of God. So marriage is going to happen. It's going to be a miraculous happening. The Holy Spirit will be the agent of making it happen. (laughs) And this one born to you... will be like no other one ever born. The Holy One born will be called the Son of God. And and lest somebody think that what that means is right at that moment, the Son of God is going to come into being. John the Apostle clarified what the angel Gabriel had announced by saying in John chapter 1, verse 1, When John wrote his gospel, before he said anything else, he said this, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John goes on through that first chapter to reveal, and the Word became flesh. That was what was happening to Mary. She was part of a miracle whereby the eternal Son of God came into this world and became flesh using her as the means it would happen by. And so that's the story. That's the miracle. That's the fulfillment of God's promise that a virgin will conceive and bear a son and he will go on to be all those things that Isaiah said he would be But at the very heart of it, at the very beginning of it, he would be a miracle, a miracle baby. Now, this morning, I just want to share three observations with you, three key observations we could say concerning this miracle baby. 
And we're going to walk through a lot of scripture. I encourage you to just let these scriptures speak to your hearts all over again as we renew them together. So here comes the first observation is this. He, this miracle baby, was the eternal son of God. And in the process, and because he was the eternal son of God, we say he surrendered the glories of heaven. Isn't it interesting? When Jesus was born, the sky was filled with the glory of heaven. It just happened to be angels. It had to be celestial hosts. But Jesus, you know, he could have come with the glory of heaven on him. That's not the way it was planned. He came as a human being. Now, mothers, don't argue with me too much. But when your little baby was first born, did he come with the glory of heaven on him? Or was he kind of gooey? And, uh, and, and I should ask dads this. When you first saw, hey, here's our son. Today, dads get to see him when he arrives. Years ago, my dad never got to see me in that circumstance. He didn't see me until probably an hour or more later when you're all cleaned up and you're in nice clean wrappings and, and somebody hands him to the dad like, like the treasure that he or she is. But Jesus came into this world like every other human baby comes into this world. Nothing too glorious about it. You see, the Bible says he gave up the glory that he had in heaven, that he might become a human being. And one of the weakest of all human beings, a baby. And so we see here, just a couple of key points we'd make. First thing we want to see, he came into the world voluntarily. Here's what the Apostle Paul said, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, who, speaking of Jesus, who being in very nature God, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be, and I've added in just a little bit of different translation here so we understand it, something to be grasped. That doesn't mean grab something you didn't already have. It really means he did not consider his equality with God something to be clung on to, like it's mine. I will not give it up. But he made himself nothing, I would add, relatively speaking, by taking on the very nature of a servant and was made in human likeness. He didn't become nothing. He, really, he became one of us. But compared to what he was, you might say, man, that's like nothing. That's like nothing. The eternal enters into a human body that has a lifespan of maybe 70 or 80 years. He willingly became one of us. The Apostle Paul says that. He did it voluntarily. Secondly, he came into the word world purposefully for a reason. Here's Jesus' own words, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus left heaven voluntarily because he was leaving it purposefully, a great, great purpose,
to bring redemption to fallen human beings. Never can we forget that the story of our Savior did not begin in the manger of Bethlehem, but that he was and he is the eternal Son of God. He chose to lower himself into our world to meet our need. And so on, on Friday, when we celebrate his birth, we praise him. We praise him. He willingly left heaven's glory to come to our fallen world to meet our needs. First observation. Here's the second one, which of course gets right at the heart of the scripture we read. He was born to a virgin. There was a miraculous process here, a miraculous conception. Now follow the key points of this marvelous story with me. We're going to share a number. Number one, that virgin, Mary, she was agreeable to bear the shame. Now, there's plenty of us, and as we think about things in our day and age, we might say, well, yeah, but she was, she was willing to, to be the privileged one. She was willing to be the one that all women call her blessed, and we, 2,000 years later, have her elevated to the, to the highest level. No, what she was willing to do initially was to bear the shame of this. She says in Luke 1.38 to the angel, I am the Lord's servant. In other words, I belong to him. I carry out his will. If this is his will for me, then may it be to me as you have said. Because what the angel had said was not something she would have ever chosen. Why not wait till Joseph and I get married? And then send God's promise one through us, just like all the other prophets have come. But this one would be like no other one. If he was going to be a perfect sacrifice, he had to be different. And so Mary says, we could even add in, I don't understand why, but I do know you are speaking for God. And I am the Lord's servant. So let it be to me. I'm willing for it to be done to me as you have said. And I will bear any repercussions. Now, secondly, we see Mary's husband-to-be, Joseph, was also agreeable. Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, after the angel in a dream spoke to, Moses, to Joseph and told him about Mary's impending pregnancy, it says Joseph took her into his home as his wife. He could see she was pregnant. And he felt the shame that his fiance would be so unfaithful to him. He felt the shame. And he was going to just quietly end the relationship. The angel, you remember, came to him in a dream and said, Joseph, what is happening to your, your beloved Mary is of the Lord. Do not put her away. And it says Joseph took her into his home as his wife. And to give her all the honor and all the respect and all the love that a, that a wife deserves. And all the protection. 
You see, people reading this today really miss a lot of it. In a day and age when pregnancy outside of marriage is so common that it raises no eyebrows at all, it is not so easy to explain the horror that this prospect generated for both of these righteous people. It was unthinkable. It was the ultimate sign of of sinful behavior. You see, they lived in a day. They lived in an age where sexual misbehavior was viewed the way God himself views it, as sin. The angel was telling them that they were being called upon to live with the appearance of sin in their lives, even though they knew they had not sinned. However, they also knew that most people, you know, most people would not believe the story that they told. And so that would be a part of their resume. Oh, Mary, yeah, I remember that young girl. She's the one that got pregnant before she was married, right? Now, to Joseph's credit, he went ahead and married her. Then they had a number of other children, but, ah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know about Joseph. What kind of righteous man would take such a sinful woman into his home? Raise somebody else's child, probably. See, they were being called upon to do something that, that a young couple today doesn't even, can hardly even relate to. We can hardly relate to that as being any big deal. But it was a big deal for them. Now, in the midst of this big deal, carrying this burden, when Mary was perhaps, uh, oh, three months or so along, she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth who would become the mother of John the Baptist. The angel said to her, why your cousin Elizabeth, who has gone her whole life, and now she's an older woman, she thought she could never have a child, but even she is having a child in her own age, because with God, nothing's impossible. So Mary went to visit her, Elizabeth. And as soon as Mary walked through the door, Luke chapter 1, verse 42, Mary's cousin Elizabeth just showed herself to be so wonderfully supportive. And here's what she said as soon as Mary came through the door and said, Hello, Elizabeth. She said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Oh, how that greeting must have encouraged and thrilled Mary. She didn't even have to tell Elizabeth that she was pregnant. And she didn't have to tell her what the angel had told her about the baby. Elizabeth told her she was a blessed woman not a woman who should be ashamed of herself. She was a blessed woman, and that she was carrying a most blessed child. It was almost like Elizabeth was saying, Mary, I believe you without you even having to say anything, for God has revealed everything to me already. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Elizabeth later on even called Mary the mother of our Lord. I tell you, that had to encourage Mary to no end. Elizabeth 
was so wonderfully supportive. And then Elizabeth's son, who would be John the Baptist, he acknowledged Christ before John was even born, while he was still in his mother's womb. Here's what we read in Luke 1.44 as this initial encounter with Elizabeth takes place. Elizabeth says, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears. So Mary spoke first. Oh, Elizabeth, I'm here. Elizabeth says, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. How many of you mothers, when you were expecting, ever felt your child move inside of you? Would you ever say you felt a movement so violent it was like he or she just jumped? Now, did you ever try to put an emotion in your child's mind when that movement took place? Would you even think of doing that? Or you might just say, man, he's really active today. Well, I didn't get any sleep last night at all. She was just tossing and turning all night long, and so I tossed and turned right along with her. Elizabeth put an emotion that had to be revealed to her only by the Holy Spirit. She said, "The, the babe, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. It's like he was excited, as excited to hear your voice, Mary, as I was. He's part of this. God is is already beginning to use him. I'll tell you, we men will never understand the unique bond that exists between a mother and her unborn child. Mary, or Elizabeth, knew her child's heart even before he was born. Now, she and her husband, Zechariah, knew their son's purpose as well. For they had been told by the same angel, Gabriel, that their son would be the one to prepare the way for the Lord. Elizabeth felt John stir powerfully within her when she heard Mary's voice, and she rightly, she rightly, accurately attributed to her unborn son, the emotion of joy. She was right on, because that's what it was. Here's a key point that will will maybe indicate that. This last point here I would bring to our attention as we follow this story, that joy, that joy that Elizabeth said was in her unborn son's heart never left John's heart. Here's what John himself said. The testimony he shared as he neared the end of his ministry, after he had baptized Jesus, after he had identified him already as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John said this. It's recorded in John chapter 3, verse 29. He says, hearing that Jesus' ministry was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And John's faithful disciples came to him and said, what are we going to do? He's out drawing us. His ministry is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and and a lot of our crowds are going over to follow him. And here's what John said. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. 
that joy is mine. And it is now complete. Before he was born, he leaped for joy at the sound of Jesus' mother's voice. And nearing the end of his life, because you remember he was arrested, Herod had him beheaded, and, and it brought grief to the Lord Jesus and, and all who were there. But So here he is near the end of his ministry, and he says, and that joy. That joy has been the definition of me my entire life. Waiting first, waiting for the bridegroom, waiting to hear his voice, and then I heard his voice, and then I saw him. And then I baptized him. And he has gone on now, and folks are flocking around him. And my joy is complete. My job is done. And has been done to the glory of God. Oh, what a, what a thing to be part of that story. John's heart. From birth until just days before his death. Was filled with joy. At the thought of being used to prepare the way for the Son of God. To encourage people to look to Jesus. And live. Now, that's the kind of joy you and I can experience this Christmas season. This is a unique time. Whether you're talking to people on the telephone, whether you're texting them, whether you're emailing them, whether you're Zooming with them, or, or, or whether they're right around you to be able to say, this is such a weird Christmas. It's like the only thing that's the same this Christmas is the reason we have Christmas. And the more I've gotten back to just that reason, I've found my heart just filled with joy. How about you? How about you? Let it be a unique kind of Christmas witness this year. Because there's a lot of people in this country today who don't even know what the real reason for Christmas is and say, what are you talking about? Oh, my goodness. Do you not realize that Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ some 2,000 years ago? And that Jesus Christ came to this earth from heaven? He's the Son of God? He is God? And he gave up all the glory of heaven to come down to this fallen, disease-filled earth like we're living in? And hopefully your friend might say, well, why he'd have to be an idiot to do that. Say, well, you know why he came? Because he loves you and me so much that he wanted to deliver us forever from sin and hardship and trouble and prepare a place for us in heaven itself. And when I think about that, it just gets me happy. Puts joy in my heart. How about you? How about you? Do you know him? Do you believe in him? Because the Bible says, whosoever believes in him will be granted eternal life. That's why he came. And this season of the year tells us, reminds us, he did come into real history. It's Christmas. 
oh, wouldn't it be great to be little junior John the Baptist during Christmas time here and being preparing the way for people to understand what this is all about? Oh, I trust we can. Well, here's just the last thing we share. The last observation is this, number three. He was born, this miracle baby, completely holy. We have to mention that. We have to keep that straight. There was no sin nature transmission. When you and I are born, thanks to our mom and dad, and thanks to their mom and dad, and thanks to their mom and dad, and all the way back, thanks Adam and Eve, we were born with a sin nature. We're fallen. We're corrupted as human beings. Not Jesus. Remember what the angel said to Mary? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One born will be called the Son of God. See, here's the deal. Jesus, as a Jewish boy, was raised on the book of Psalms. It was the Jewish hymn book. They sang those psalms when they went to the festivals. They, they knew the word of God. Jesus never, ever had to say what David said in Psalm 51, verse 5. David said, Behold, I was shaped. I was fashioned in iniquity. When my physical body was put together, it was put together in a fallen state. I was shaped in iniquity, in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not saying his mother was doing something sinful when she conceived him. What he's saying is that when she conceived me, it was in the context and the environment of a sinful fallen world and a sinful fallen human race. And before I ever said a word, I was already a sinner. And the reason I've ever done any bad things in my life, and in fact, in, in Psalm 51, David is confessing a terrible bad thing he did in his life, his sin with Bathsheba. But what he's saying is, before I ever did a bad thing, I was already, in God's eyes, a sinner. I was a fallen human being with a tendency to want to do my own thing to violate the laws of God if I found them inconvenient. And David just got done violating a big law of God, committing adultery. On top of that, remember, he committed murder when the woman's husband uh, just uh, wouldn't agree to just die in battle. He had to have him murdered. Well, that's where he was murdered. Put him in the worst place. Be sure he dies in this battle. Horrible thing. Horrible thing. In sin, into the whole fallen, sinful environment. My mother conceived me, my body was formed, and I was born. And so have been you and me, every one of us, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus was conceived without sin. Jesus was brought into being by the work the miraculous work of God himself, and therefore Jesus was born with a nature that was like Adam's original nature, without sin, a perfect, flawless, righteous human being with the capability of just living a holy life. 
And Jesus did live a holy life. See, all of this was in keeping with him being that perfect sacrifice. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, to be our substitute. We sinners who had sin, Jesus took our place, and our sin went upon him who had none of his own. And so he was able to be a substitute, a marvelous substitute for us. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, how much more then, that is how much more than the blood of bulls and goats and sheep and all those who have been offered in sacrifice for the guilty, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, how much more will that cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death? Paul says there is, no, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior from sin, he saves us immediately from the penalty of sin. And then by his Holy Spirit, he increasingly saves us from the, from the power of sin. And even our practice of sin becomes more and more distasteful to us, doesn't it? Jesus. He was offered that he might cleanse us from the acts that lead to death. So he was, him being holy was in keeping with him being the perfect sacrifice. Him being holy, this was in keeping with him being the perfect high priest. Again, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, who is blameless, who is pure who is set apart from sinners. See, every human high priest in the past who were sinful, they had to go in and first offer a sacrifice for themselves, and then they would offer a sacrifice for the people. And, and there was always something a little limited about that. You had an unholy person trying to do a holy thing that God would say, well, if, you know, I, I will allow that until the real one comes. Jesus was the real one. He was the high priest forever, the perfect high priest. He didn't have to offer any sacrifice first to make himself ready for God's presence. He was ready for God's presence. He was holy. He was blameless. He was pure. He was set apart from sinners. He was exalted even above the heavens. And he's the one. He's the one offering his own shed blood before the Father for you and me to cleanse us from our sins. And when the devil would say they deserve to die, our advocate in heaven, Jesus, can say, boy, you are right about that. They deserve to die. But you know what? I died for them. I died for them. The death penalty has been taken off of them. What they are heading for now is an eternity in a holy heaven, along with me and the Father and the Spirit and all others who are part of the family of God. How good is that? And as our high priest, Jesus gets to be the spokesman. He gets to be the one who actually delivers the forgiveness 
and delivers the sacrifice right to his father's throne. So we say here, Jesus was indeed fully human, but he was fully human the way Adam originally was. He was sinlessly human, holy from birth. And he remained holy until our sins were put on him on Calvary. And then just for a while was he unholy as all the wrath of God fell upon him. And his purity, his holiness, his righteousness allowed him to absorb all of that, to take the punishment, to take our death, to even physically die. But he paid the price and the father raised him from death. And he's alive evermore. What a miracle. What a miracle baby came into our world. And what a miracle was wrought by his life. And so our final thought says this. Our promise of the ages is the miracle baby born in Bethlehem. His miracle birth made possible our salvation. Are you one who has been saved through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you come to that place where you know you are a sinner? Maybe not the worst who ever walked on the face of the earth, but bad enough, bad enough to be ashamed of yourself. Even by your own standards, you've fallen short, right? And to realize that Jesus Christ paid it all. Jesus Christ, the pure one, that's why the white candle, the pure one, he laid down his perfect life for our imperfect ones. And all we need to do is receive his gift. The Bible says, for the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. To admit that you need such a gift and then to receive it by faith and say, oh God, Heavenly Father, I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and I ask you to forgive me of my sins on his behalf. The Father says, every time I will, I will, you are forgiven. And I give you the gift of my Holy Spirit to just guide you and lead you until you actually become more and more like my son yourself. How good is that? Heavenly Father, these are miraculous things we talk about. Even the birth of John the Baptist was miraculous. John's revelation before he was even born, his acknowledgement of the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ was miraculous. His mother understanding that was a, a leap of joy was miraculous. And then all the ministry that followed. Father, I pray that we would be so focused in on the calling you've given to us. And that we would so identify ourselves with Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. That not only at this Christmas time, but at the point of our own death we might be able to say with John the Baptist, the joy 
This has been my joy. Jesus Christ, knowing him, declaring him, has been my joy, and my joy is now fulfilled. Father, may that joy fill every one of our hearts. This season and throughout the year ahead and for the rest of our lives, the joy of knowing that our life's purpose is found in Jesus Christ. Knowing him, telling others about him, relying upon him for our eternal life and our forgiveness. For we ask these things now in his name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.